He's the pastor of Bethel Gospel Assembly in Lakeland, Florida. And a wonderful work of the Lord, and God is still growing it. They looks like they're in the process of purchasing new, more property. So, and um, yes, the kingdom is expanding. And he's been a husband of one wife. <laughs> Got to say that nowadays. For how many years now, sir? 49 years. Please stand with me as we welcome and honor Apostle Charles Williams of Lakeland, Florida. Praise the Lord. God bless you. God bless. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. My theme song is, me and the devil had a tussle, but I won. God bless you. Um, I am so humbled uh, to be able to share with you today in this great occasion uh, that you're celebrating uh, the anniversary of a man that I love, he and his wife and family, so very much. He came to Florida uh, some time ago, well, to the Southern District, and uh, he stood as he ministered and said, the role of a bishop is to release blessings. And he released blessings upon our Southern District. I don't know how the other pastors received that, but I just grabbed it with both arms. And since that time, I was sharing with Bishop on last night, since that time we have experienced some of the mightiest blessings of the Lord. So before I leave Cambridge, I want him to release some more blessings on me. Come on, y'all, shout amen. Um... Down in Florida, they tell me that I have the gift of continuation. Uh, but Bishop has let me know I can't flow in that gift in this service. So I will um, get right down to business for about 20 minutes. Um, I don't know how to explain it. All I can say is that God is an awesome God. Amen. To think that uh, this God that I serve would choose to take such uh, a vessel as myself and somehow use me in his plan is just all striking to my heart. So I come in humbleness, amen? And I didn't come necessarily to speak to your intellect because I'm not equipped to do that. And as I accepted this invitation, I said, Lord God, what can a truck driver say to such a fantastic, dynamic people? And the Lord said to me, you have an ally that you don't know about at least to the extent that I want you to know about him. And his name is the Holy Ghost. Amen. Say amen. amen. 
And so the Holy Ghost has a way of taking that which seems insufficient and weak and beggarly and anointing it to be an amazement to those that sit under that anointing. So today I am totally, completely dependent upon the Holy Ghost. And to help me to know that, I don't know what happened on that aircraft, but my wife and I came down with something, allergies. And every time I turn my head real quick, I get dizzy and everything starts spinning. But spinning going to have to settle down for the next 20 minutes. Can y'all say amen? Come on, say amen with me now. Pick up your Bibles, if you will. I thank God for my wife, Frances. I was in the pulpit preaching on that Sunday afternoon when one of the ministers came and touched me on the shoulder and said, you need to call your wife. She's over in Orlando, Florida, ministering to our daughter, who at the time was hooked on crack cocaine. And... As soon as I finished preaching, I walked outside and I called her phone number and my daughter answered. And she says, dad, mom has had a stroke. And she can't move and she's slurring her words. And she refuses to go to the hospital until you get here. Um, And I'm almost 50 miles away. So I jump in my vehicle and when I get there, she's sitting in the parking lot in a caravan. And I said to God, you know what? If you got to put this on me, put it on me but not my baby. And so I, she said, honey, I'm not going nowhere till you pray. God said, when you pray, he's going to move in a mighty way. I got her out the car and I prayed and I led her around that parking lot and she started walking better and she started talking clearer. But I didn't have her level of faith at that time. So I carried her to the hospital They did the appropriate scans and they found out that she had had a stroke and they sentenced her to rehabilitation for a couple of months. In the hospital, don't you worry about me, I'm going to be out of here on time. Looking at me in that tone of voice. But... um, When we rolled her in the hospital, she told those people, she said, in 10 days, I'm walking out of this hospital. So I got all tucked in the hospital, the rehab place, and I left, and I went home and got on the telephone, and I booked us a cruise (laughs) for 10 days later. (laughs) Oh, y'all, come on, shout amen with me now. Nine days later, Francis Lucille Shaw Williams, my wife, 
got up to walk out the hospital. They wouldn't let her. They said, no, we got to wheel you out. So they wheeled her out in the wheelchair, and I had my car parked outside the door. And when they took her out in the wheelchair and put her in the car and went back in the hospital, she got up and ran back in the hospital <laughs> and walked out. And my daughter that was hooked on crack cocaine has been free for five years. From the book of book of Nehemiah, I I get a little mushy sometimes. I wasn't like this when I was sixty-six. <laughs> when I turned sixty-seven, something happened. So I just decided I won't get no older than sixty-seven. Next year I'm going back to sixty-six. Come on, believe with me now, Amen. And the following year, I'm going back to 65. I refuse to go back any further than 65 and lose my social security. (laughs) From the book of Nehemiah, the third chapter. Excuse me, the fourth chapter, verse one. And it came to pass... That when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Father, as I come now to the word of God, I release the anointing of the Holy Ghost mighty within me today. That he will speak through me, Lord, these lips of clay, that which heaven has ordained for this moment. I pray that every heart will be bought in tune with the moving of the spirit of God. That when we leave here, we shall surely know that God has spoken to us. And heavenly father, I'll be very careful to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. For I ask it by faith in Jesus name. May the church say amen. I took this so very seriously until I laid aside hermeneutics. I did not prepare anything. I just said, God, I'm going to stand before your people 
And I want you to speak that which you would have us hear. I wish the cheerleading team in hell would rejoice when God grants victory to some of his people. But you're well aware that when you make inroads and advances for the kingdom of God, it makes the devil mad. Praise the Lord. And I have found that uh, when God gives me a measure of victory, I can always expect the enemy to make known his disapproval by some kind of attack. But after 49 years of marriage and 40 years of ministry, fighting has just become a second Nature to me. Come on, y'all. Shout amen now. I have long since been delivered from thinking that being a Christian means that I can get stroked and be made to feel warm and fuzzy. I came to understand that when God called me, he called me as a soldier in the army of the Lord. And I am fed up to hear with traveling around and seeing people who are able to polish their swords. And those swords are gleaming and beautiful and wonderful. But I'm looking for some folk that can bloody them swords. Oh, y'all better shout amen. By letting the enemy know, listen, it's not over. God has the victory. Anybody in here believe that? I don't know. I don't know exactly all that is going on everywhere. But in Florida, in the Southern District, there is a move of the enemy where he has invaded the church. Don't y'all look at me like that. Um, I thought, and I tell the people this all the time, I thought it was the church who's supposed to be evangelizing the world. But now things have seemed to change and the church is now being evangelized by that Antichrist spirit. And so I talked to pastors who go to many seminars of how to build churches, how to bring people in. One of the uh, things that I uh, heard about was a course on how to market your church to the world. Now, I don't have no degree in marketing, but I do know this. Marketing has a lot to do with how you package something and how you present it to the world or to the marketplace. (laughs) Just to think that somebody would be in the marketplace shopping for a church uh, is mind boggling to me. But so then I ask myself this, if people are shopping for a church. If the world is actually shopping for a church, what sorts of things do they want and what kind of things do they say? No, I can't. I I won't go along with that. 
And I found that down in Florida, they come to Bethel and they want to know, what does your church have to offer? What kind of fun activities? And oh, by the way, preacher, I want you to meet my mate. Euphemism. Y'all better say praise the Lord. Now don't get quiet on me like that. You, you get me scared. Uh, your mate? Yes. You do agree with that, don't you? That it's okay for me to have a mate of the same sex. And I said, no. Um, but I'm like brother Brian Green up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Come on, so praise the Lord. Am I stepping on anybody's toes yet? Um, uh, no, brother, I'm sorry. For the word of God says this. But preacher, if you keep that up, the gospel you preaching is going to be threatening to certain segments of society. And in order for your church to grow, you cannot preach a gospel that's threatening certain individuals and certain things that they are doing. You got to preach a gospel that makes everybody feel warm and fuzzy. You all right. I'm all right. Everybody's all right. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. May I have a drink of water, please? Give the Lord a clap offering. So my point is this. And I'm not going to be able to cover the whole thing in this setting, but please, on this, on this, on this afternoon or the next service, I want to continue this. I want you to notice there are four questions. Uh, at least six questions that are put forth in a very sarcastic down like way and the markers of the people of God uh, began to mark before the armies of Samaria as these people were building the walls and one of the things that have happened to us as a church and I think about 90 years of Pentecostal tabernacle being in existence. And before we take that forward look today, I want you to take a look back with me. And there certainly has been chaos and disappointment, perhaps even some bad decisions and stuff that didn't go the way perhaps God wanted it to go at the time. But I want you to consider this. In spite of the successes and the failures of past leadership, I am so glad that those forefathers presented us with a doctrine from the Bible that is pure, that is right, that is holy before God. Can y'all shout amen with me, somebody? This UPCAD doctrine that... Pentecostal 
uh, have served in history and preserving has brought us to this place that we now stand firm. Can y'all shout amen? amen? And solid before the Lord. But at the same time, please listen to me. There is an attempt by the enemy for us to begin to compromise. Come on, sir, praise the Lord. When I took over the church there in Lakeland from Peter H. Hulabar at five months old in the Lord. And when I went through all that I went through, I thought about all of the suffering that that man did in order to start that church of seven members. (laughs) And I said to myself, if it was worth all that he went through to get this ministry started, then by God's grace, whatever it takes, I will keep this ministry going. If everybody turned their back on me, I'll stand with just the Lord. Come on, y'all shout amen. If all that our forefathers went through was important enough to them to give their lives to it, then we're going to carry on that legacy of the gospel that they presented to us. Can y'all shout praise the Lord? See there what I'm talking about? Brother, just hold it in your hand. Don't get too close to me because I don't know the next thing that may be coming your way. (laughs) 930-ish. So let me just cover one point. Will, what do these weak Jews do? The enemy always want to point to our insufficiencies. I don't have the time to deal with that right now. Will they fortify themselves? Will they make a separation between the world and Christianity? The church has gotten so worldly and the world so churchy to you can't hardly tell them apart. But there has to be a difference between clean and unclean, holy and unholy. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's threatening to somebody, I do not apologize. And you should not apologize. I tell people all the time, I was preaching on the streets of a place called Webster, Florida, where they're drive-by shootings and people on drugs and lives being destroyed. The police won't even go down in there. If somebody have a heart attack, the ambulance said, well, if you meet us at the corner of 471 with the body in the car, we are taking in the ambulance. And while I'm, I'm almost finished, while I was knowing about this and praying about this, God said, it's time for you to go into that area. And I went into that area preaching the word. That's my calling. Praise the Lord. Not to set back and keep letting the enemy make inroads, but somebody got to rise up and draw that line in the sand and say, that is enough. That is enough in the name of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say, praise the Lord. So we went up there and preached and we won. We're going to plant a church there. We already got a pastor identified. So we're looking for God to bring light in the midst of this darkness. And so the point that I want to get to that I better hurry up and get to is found in that last verse that I read. Will they Revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned. 
two applications and I won't be able to deal with but one. When I look at this pile of stones that was burned, that was rubbish. I think about my life prior to my accepting Jesus. Amen. Man, sin burnt me, man. I, I mean, I was burnt. And uh, I was running the streets, man, shooting at people and people shooting at me. And even when I grew up and got mature enough to drive trucks, I used to run up and down the road with a fifth of Martin's VVO sitting between my legs. Oh, God is a wonderful God, isn't he? I was burnt, messed up. But when God got ready to establish a work in Lakeland, Florida, he went to that heap of stones that was burned. Those stones that have been cast out by the world. I can't tell you how many people told me you'll never amount to nothing. You're no good. But I lay there in that pile of stone. And one day Jesus came to that pile. And he said, I'll revive you out of the heaps. And though you've been burned, all that the canker worm has taken, I'm going to restore to you. How many believe that God is a God of restoration? Uh, up in Alabama, we used to have what we call junk men. I think in Cambridge they call them entrepreneurs. <laughs> I'm, I'm about finished, y'all guys. And my stepfather, I never knew my real father, but my stepfather was an old guy. And if you gave him a brand new pickup truck, he'd take a sledgehammer and beat on it until it had all kind of gashes and Ben's, he just loved riding out and raggedy stuff. <laughs> and when we would get out of school and he would pass by, I would turn my head. But little did I know that he had a gift from God that I didn't recognize. And as a junk man, he would go to these places where people had discarded that which they had valued as nothing which was good for nothing but to be put in a junkyard or a junk pile somewhere and probably covered over by a bulldozer. But he had an eye from God and he could go to that pile of garbage that everybody else would turn their nose up and walk by, but he could go there and look in there and he could see something and say, though this has been thrown away, I believe I can make something out of this. Come on, y'all, y'all about to say amen with me now. Even though the world has given no value to it, it's very valuable. And he would take old things like old kitchen sinks and he'd do something with them and mess them all around and send them out there to sale and somebody would buy it for a flower pot. He'd take old rotten two-by-fours, saw off the bad ends, take the good part that was in the middle, build stuff out of it and put it on the street and my God, it had value again. That's what Jesus did for me. He came to that junk pile. That place of discarded souls and discarded people. Misprized and undervalued folks. And he said, Charles, 
I can restore you. I got a job for you to do. And now look at me. I'm standing here in this church under this dynamic leader preaching to these dynamic people. Who would have ever thought that something like that would happen? Come on, y'all shout amen. Reverend Bishop Green understands my calling from God. I have no time whatsoever for trying to critique preachers and trying to be uh, eloquent and wax eloquent and out eloquent the other eloquencies. (laughs) I'm below road edges. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I get a little excited when I preach about Jesus. Oh, but he's the man. My God that delivered me, he's the man that gives my life value. He's the man that walks with me. Oh, I told you, brother. I messed up the man's carpet. I'm finishing. I'm finishing. Before I tell something else. Oh, I'm finishing. That's the reason I love to go to the depressed places. So, yeah, I see you. You in that pile of stone. The priests and the Levites, they all pass by you because they don't want to get defiled. But I come here to get down in the ditch with you. I come to pull you out. I come to let you know there's hope for you. And in that street meeting yonder, <laughs> in that little old place called Wildwood, Florida, and there was a young man as I was preaching. A man drove up on an expensive car. He was high on drugs. He cussed me out. He, he, he said all kind of stuff about me. And I'm standing there praying, Lord, let him talk. But if he get out that car, you better stop him. Because if you don't stop him, I'm going to have to stop him. Yeah! I'll reverse roundhouse him. I'll take him out and then pray for him. (laughs) One man came by, cussed me out. Another man sitting on a bicycle said, Preacher, can you help me? And we led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? I'll take a cussing to win a soul for Jesus Christ. Alrighty. I know I got to stop. I know I got to quit. Can they build? Can they fortify with that heap of garbage? Man, I say this and I'm finished. That was a an old, 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 good old country boy back during the, during the war, and uh, he hadn't trained. He didn't know the different bugle calls. He didn't know the sound of retreat or the sound of rally or whatever. And they was out on, on, on operation, and the battle was intense, and the, the cannon fire was flying, and balls from the muskets was flying. And the captain sounded retreat. And everybody that was trained retreated back to the camp. But old John kept right on charging. I don't know what that horn mean. He kept right on charging. 
And boy, when they got back to the camp, everybody was sitting around saying, poor John. Oh, poor John. He didn't know that when that horn sounded, he posed a retreat. And about midnight, they heard somebody saying, get on in there, move. Move, get on up in there. Move. And they looked outside. Here come John with about 10 captured enemy soldiers. Get on in there, get on up there. And they said, John, what happened? What do you, how do you get that? How do you do this? He said, man, the woods is full of them. All you got to do is go out and get them. Oh, yeah. I'm glad the Lord allowed me to come from my background because I'm used to being misprized, unappreciated, rejected, not received into the rubbing elbows with the high and mighty. I'm an out-of-court prophet. I know that. I'm not an inner-court prophet. But I'm satisfied and I'm happy with what God has done for my life and I do not apologize for it. Can y'all shout amen? And I tell people all the time, if my getting happy for Jesus offends you, then you should have been at that last Super Bowl. When everybody thought it was all over. Can y'all shout amen? Yeah. Maybe people are looking at the church and say it's all over. It's the last quarter. You're behind. You can't win this. But God told me to tell you that the Holy Ghost is fixing to uh, force a turnover. The Holy Ghost is fixing to cause a fumble on the hair on behalf of the devil. And now the ball is back in your court. And all I can say is, go, Jesus, go, Jesus, go. Shout amen. Go, Holy Ghost, go, Holy Ghost, go, Holy Ghost. Somebody holler, we in for an upset. Somebody give the Lord some praise. Amen. 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 Before I turn this to Elder Roy, I know this is God. God can do anything. He didn't share how his daughter came back to the Lord. She was on crack cocaine. One night she was beaten so badly that her eye was out of its socket and they had to put it back in. And then one night... Her boyfriend put a gun to her head and started pulling the trigger, and all he could get was click, 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 click. That same night, she ran to church, fell on the altar, and said, I know God is real. And from that moment on, she's given her life to the Lord, got back married, got married. 
the children they, the the the, the uh, social workers wanted uh, Sister Francis to adopt her grandchildren. She said no because I'm believing my daughter will get free. Yes. And now that same granddaughter is going to college and wants to be a lawyer. I tell you, God is real. Come on, somebody pray. God is real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.